mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Good Cop, Black Cop. In his new memoir, former Fostoria Police Sergeant Clayton Moore recounts his complicated experience as that city's first African-American officer and how it relates to the larger discussion of racial justice and policing. Also this morning, The Shingle Weaver's Picnic. Debut author P.C. Smith explains why she decided to write her first novel at the sprite young age of 84. And we have more tasty and simple recipes that your family is sure to love. Another collection from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, March 19th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today and a high 42, clear and cold tonight with a low 25. A man who was already facing drug charges in Hancock County is now facing even more in Seneca County. The Seneca County Drug Task Force executed a search warrant in Faustoria following a suspected drug overdose. Authorities say suspected fentanyl and other drugs were found in the residence and a man was arrested. Authorities recently issued a warning about a batch of heroin laced with fentanyl that caused three fatal overdoses in Faustoria. Get more on our website. The local Fraternal Order of Police has established a new nonprofit organization called the Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation. The foundation has created a localized cops and kids program to replace Shop with a Cop, which is a national program. I think that we'll be able to raise more money and all of the money that we raise will now be staying here instead of paying trademark fees or franchise fees that we had to pay with Shop with a Cop. So that by itself means that we will be netting more money and then we will be able to help more kids. Teresa White says they plan on having 12 months of programming so officers and kids can see each other more often. And each year the activities will culminate in December with the annual holiday shopping trip called Cops and Kids Go Shopping. Get more on our website. Ohio U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown wants the White House to be involved in holding Ford to a commitment it made to its assembly plant west of Cleveland. Union workers say Ford is backing out of an agreement to build a new product in Avon Lake in 2023 and is moving that project to Mexico. Senator Brown says, I think the way that the previous president handled Lordstown, he put no pressure on GM to stay there. So I think it set a bit of a precedent for what Ford did now. But I'm not going to blame anybody else but Ford. They made their commitment here to their workers. Brown says Ohio workers and communities have been good to Ford, which should live up to its promises. Dave James, I went in news. Flags will be flown at half-staff in remembrance of the victims of Atlanta shootings that happened on Tuesday. Governor DeWine issued the order in accordance with an order issued by the president. The order states that all Ohio and U.S. flags be flown at half-staff upon all public buildings and grounds in Ohio until sunset on March 22nd. For WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Today is the final day of winter. That's right, spring arrives tomorrow. I don't know exactly the time. I'll have to look that up, but I know first day of spring is tomorrow. So happy final day of winter to you. It is certified nurses day today. So big salute to all of the nurses. It is also national preschool teachers appreciation day. So anybody who has been locked down with their little ones for the past year (laughs) certainly can appreciate preschool teachers so 
uh, National Preschool Teachers Appreciation Day today. It is also Let's Laugh Day, which I think is always a good thing. Every day should be Let's Laugh Day, but today in particular, National Backyard Day. Not the best day today to get out into the backyard, but maybe this weekend. With the arrival of spring, National Chocolate Caramel Day, National Poultry Day, and it is World Sleep Day today. So, reasons to celebrate. By the way, speaking of uh, sleeping, uh, this is kind of interesting. Saw this story in the uh, on the Newswire, and for those of you who are getting up, getting ready for work this morning, consider this. North Carolina State University researchers say if you are tired at work, you would benefit from taking micro-breaks, which are defined as short, voluntary, and impromptu respites during the workday. Um, you could just go have a snack, chat with a co-worker for a few minutes, uh, just get up and stretch, or even work on a crossword puzzle for a few minutes. Researchers found that on days where people were already fatigued when they arrived at work, they tended to take micro-breaks micro more frequently, and that's a good thing because it helped maintain energy levels and therefore helps workers to meet the demands of the job and engage with their work better. So, for the bosses out there, don't discourage this. This is a good thing. The co-author of the study, North Carolina State University, NC State, Sophia Cho, says, quote, Our study shows that it is in a company's best interest to give employees autonomy in terms of taking micro-breaks when they're needed. It helps employees effectively manage their energy and engage in their work throughout the day, unquote. So... I'm just going to go take a microbreak right now. I'm just, um, no, I probably can't do that. There would be, it'd be too much dead air. I can't do that. But anyway, I thought that is, uh, that is perfect on a Friday. And if you're still trying to recover from the time change <laughs> or just because it's Friday, uh, microbreaks, a good thing. So on this world sleep day. So this is the uh, big news here, uh, this morning and uh, social distancing might be getting shortened. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, said that uh, he expects the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, to update their guidance to reflect that three feet of social distancing between school students is sufficient. Now, this would apply only at this point. This would apply only to schools. Um. And it uh, comes after the CDC announced, what was it, Wednesday, that it was actively looking at new studies on whether students can be spread three feet apart instead of the current recommendation of six feet. So, again, it's limited to students in school. But, you know, if you start there, maybe, just maybe, we'll get updated guidance for everyone else. So we can get just a little bit closer. Yesterday, Dr. Fauci said he, say, he thinks the recommendation will likely happen and that the CDC is analyzing that data very carefully. So, this is the latest good news with respect to the pandemic. 
Here is the latest uh, viral video trend that is leading medical experts to issue a warning. This time, the warning comes from veterinarians. Multiple people, apparently, this is the uh, thing now, multiple people have posted videos feeding their dogs uh, chicken with hot sauce on it. Hot sauce. I guess I guess this is a big thing on TikTok. And uh, some dogs will lick the food and continue to eat it until they realize how spicy it is. Other dogs, the more sensitive sense of smell, will just refuse to eat it uh, whatsoever. But uh, veterinarians are warning this is very dangerous for your pet. It could cause pancreatitis or inflammation of the pancreas in dogs. Uh, many humans like hot sauce. I'm not a big hot sauce person, but I know people, some people are, but that is not good. It's one of those things. A lot of human foods are not good for dogs. And this is one, um, Dr. Mary Altamar, head veterinarian, at the Mount Pleasant animal shelter in New Jersey, posting on social media says spicy food causes great discomfort to the dog's body, including to the oral cavity and the esophagus. She also cautions against feeding dogs onion and garlic, both of which are toxic to animals. Not just they don't like it or it could cause discomfort. It could be toxic. And those can sometimes be found in hot sauces used to add flavor uh, to foods. So the long and short of it uh, is that's the big viral video trend challenge, whatever you want to call it. Don't do it like just about every other viral video challenge out there. Probably best just not doing it at all. And, um, you know, this is maybe one of those, one of those uh, indications that parents are just not paying as close attention as they should to what their kids are doing. And it's, Probably not surprising because at this point, a lot of uh, parents are burnt out. Uh, this was a research study out of 42 countries around the world. Uh, scientists collaborated on this study and found that parental burnout is most common in Western countries like the U.S., what they found was that parents living in rich, individualistic Western countries, which on average have few children, are the most affected by stress-induced parental burnout. And you would think maybe it would be the other way around. Uh, the countries where they have big families, lots of kids, that that would be more, those parents would be more prone to burnout. But no, apparently in Western nations with smaller families, they say the findings show that the values of individualism in Western countries can subject parents to higher levels of stress. Researcher and parental specialist Isabel Roscom says our individualistic countries cultivate a cult of performance and perfectionism. Parenthood in countries like the United States is a very solitary activity, unlike in African countries, for example, where the entire village is involved in raising children. So I can, I can see that. Uh, of course, there, they have more children. 
uh, in families. So you need the extra help. But in countries like the United States, we tend to take that on individualistically uh, rather than the old saying of it takes a village. And we all know there's people who say no, it doesn't take a village. It's just just me. And uh, that apparently is leading to added, added stress. They say to lower stress, we must revive the dimension of sharing and mutual aid among parents within a community and abandon the cult of the perfect parent and gain some perspective on all the parenting advice out there in order to find what works for you. That is really good advice. You know, forget about what everybody else is doing or the parenting style, the parenting job that everybody else is doing. Forget all about that. Find what works for you. Not always that easy, but anyway, kind of interesting. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy news items here to start off your TGI Friday morning. Final day of winter. Spring arriving tomorrow. Well, outside of coronavirus, the most hotly debated issue of the past year has been that of social justice and racial bias in this country, particularly in policing. When it comes to discussing a hot-button issue like this, I like to find individuals with a unique perspective, a uniquely honest perspective, and our next guest certainly has that. Clayton Moore was the first African-American hired into the Fostoria police force in 1986. In 2008, the city fired him, citing 16 conduct violations. He challenged that decision, and the arbiter uh, in the case rebuked the city's claim, reinstating Sergeant Moore, who went on to serve for another 10 years, retiring in 2018. He has now written a memoir about his experience called Good cop, black cop. And uh, Clayton, when you hear the the buzzwords that have been uh, bantered about surrounding this debate, things like racial profiling and police brutality and Black Lives Matter defunding the police and so on and so forth, what comes to mind for you? Well, the first thing that I think comes to mind is just um, a lack of understanding. Talk about defunding the police. That's the one that jumped out at me. Um, a lot of people think that means taking money away from the police department. And I tell people it's not taking money from the police department, but it's reappropriating funds that we're paying out in lawsuits and maybe educate our police officers, educate somebody, say, in the mental illness area that would go along to help the police department in doing a better job. The buzzword that you use, the term that you use, your term is inner bias. Define that. What is that? Well, we all have our biases. I think the first thing is to first acknowledge it. And it's okay. You know, it's okay to have inner biases because our inner biases is about how we were brought up, how we were raised, mm-hmm. our experiences, and what we went through. And, and having an inner bias can also be a, you know, it can be a good thing. It can alert you from danger. You know, it's a sixth sense. However, it's more about understanding that because we have our inner biases, we're different, but and it's okay to be different, but someone else is different too. And it's okay for them to be different, mm-hmm. but to recognize them and with those differences, you know, don't prejudge. So is the key overcoming an inner bias? Because like you said, it's not always necessarily a bad thing and it's to be expected. Different people have different experiences. They have different realities. So is the key to overcoming it or 
uh, learning to uh, deal with it despite its presence? I think not just overcoming it, but recognizing it, mm-hmm. you know, to want recognize it and understand it and then accept it. And it's okay. But you have to understand that it's there and how it affects how you think. We referenced your saga, I guess, for lack of a better term, with the Fostoria Police Department. It wasn't all that long ago. Many people in the area uh, may remember uh, hearing the story, and I don't want to go back and rehash it all. What I am curious about is, and it kind of relates to what you're talking about here, how did that experience relate to the way you come at this issue? In other words, as you said, for all of us, how we feel about every issue is shaped by our own personal experience. How did that experience for you, that experience, impact your thoughts on this issue? Well, I first, you know, I had to be true to me. And knowing who I am and what I represent, who I represent, and then the things I went through, I know I'm not the only one to ever experience, you know, what what I experienced there. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, I said, okay, this is real. And people need to understand it's real. Sometimes we see things and hear things on the news, and because it doesn't directly affect us, it really doesn't have a direct impact with us. And we need to understand that, you know, this is happening. And my, my story is it, it happened to me. And good, bad, or indifferent, you know, my book isn't about trying to make somebody believe something that they don't believe or what whatnot. It's about just you know, telling my story and, and let you decide, you know, what you think mm-hmm. and maybe ask yourself some questions. Okay. You don't have to agree with everything, but you know what? Just get yourself to think and ask yourself questions. I have to be honest. I have not read, uh, the, uh, the entire book. Uh, I did read bits and pieces and some of the write up, uh, about the book. And you say that your ultimate goal here is to, open doorways for a respectful dialogue about race. But, you know, we have heard that for decades. Is there anything to make you think that right now can be any different at this moment in time? Oh, definitely. And and that's a great question, Chris. Um, And why do I think at this time can there be? Well, you look at the makeup of the world. And let's just stay here in the United States. Um, It's more diverse now than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that there's going to be more understanding most people say you know what yeah hey you know I, it happened to my nephew it happened to my niece uh, it happened to my cousin my uncle my aunt people are going to be more connected with incidents now because of diversity and what's been going on today than ever before so with that i think there's a you know better opportunity for that discussion to be had and to be had in a respectful manner What has been missing from this conversation? Again, like we said, over the past year, uh, outside of the coronavirus, this has been the most cussed and discussed issue uh, out there in the national stage. What has been missing from the conversation? I think the biggest part has been missing is just a willingness to listen. Everybody wants to be heard, but not everybody's listening to the other side. And again, that's why I talk about respectful dialogue. You know, it's okay for you to feel the way you feel. You feel the way you feel because of, again, how you were raised, Mm -hmm. your personal experiences, and how you grew up and what you went through. And guess what? Those are real feelings, and they're true. Well, if 
I have to believe that for me, then guess what? It has to be true for the next person. So I can't just say it's true for me and this is how I believe because of this. And the other person, well, what you went through doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, work that way. I, you know, and, and I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I, and I think you're absolutely uh, correct there because uh, when I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a white man. When I hear uh, stories about the systemic uh, racism that is built into the system, it's very easy for me to dismiss it because I don't experience it. Um, at the same time, it's, it's very easy for those who don't experience it to say, you know, this person is blowing it out of proportion for political reasons. While some people are saying this is driving division, others say that division has already been there and we're just now talking about it. Both uh, our, our sides are speaking honestly when they say that. So how can addressing, and again, it goes back to that term of inner bias that you talk about, how can addressing that uh, at the individual level, then help to heal a community, move a community forward, and bring about that uh, ideal of justice for all. Well, that's where the word respect comes in. You don't have to buy into their beliefs, but just understand that what they what they feel is how they feel, and it's real. I'll share with you a quick story. Everybody knows me, obviously. I'm married to a Caucasian female. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the love of my life. She said something to me one day, Chris, that just really floored me. This is what she said to me. And this is when uh, all the shootings were going on, uh, the unarmed black uh, men, mm-hmm. my white officers. She looked at me, and we was on the couch talking, and she goes, Clayton, you know, when I get pulled over by the police and I'm by myself, I'm fine. I- I'm not afraid. I don't have a problem. I only get scared when I get pulled over by the police and I'm with you. Hmm. Now, that came from a Caucasian female. Yeah. You know how powerful that was right. and what that did to me as her husband. And from personal experience. Again, we talk about uh, those yeah. personal experiences that, that we all have that determine how we come at all of these issues. Uh, understanding being the key. The uh, The book is Good Cop, Black Cop, Guilty Until Proven Innocent. Clayton Moore uh, is the uh, author. Uh, just a really fascinating uh, story and, and a lot there to uh, think about. You have a, a website in conjunction with the book, we can guide folks to? Yeah, www.goodcopblackcop.com. Clayton Moore, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you, and I appreciate your time. Well, we talk to a lot of authors. Uh, Occasionally, we talk with uh, debut uh, authors as well. Don't know that we have uh, had too many authors debut authors of this life experience, shall we say. Uh, P.C. Smith uh, is out with a uh, brand new, her first uh, novel called The Shingle Weavers at Picnic. Patty, let me uh, ask you this right out of the gate. What made you decide to write your debut novel at the uh, sprite young age of 84? Well, it's, I've always believed that uh, all things happen in their own good time, and uh, there's so much messiness in life when you're younger, raising children and marriages and all that other stuff, that I never really seemed to have that moment where I felt that I could devote to myself. And uh, finally, uh, I got to that spot that I could. So I did. <laughs> I love the way you put that. You're you're always busy with raising the kids and your marriage and all that other stuff. Uh, but all now, that other stuff. <laughs> and now you you get the opportunity. And and this is a uh, 
I guess in, in the sense, um, you know, your life experience is uh, something you can bring to this story. It is uh, set, uh, it's, it's a family that has been touched by tragedy uh, during the course of the Second World War. Tell us a little bit about this story. Well, uh, it's a story about a very turbulent time, you know, in our country's history. Sure. When I sort of felt that that was the last of our innocence as a nation, because the news that was coming through was so violent and unbelievable, uh, and people just weren't used to hearing that in their everyday life like they are today. And the story also of this young girl who sees the world around her just sort of falling apart, and with this thing called a war, sweeps away all of her absolutes. She's also forced to see life through, you know, adult eyes long before her time mm-hmm. when uh, she had to experience the death of a playmate in uh, the town. And that shook not only her to her little core, but the whole town as well. Uh, especially because, again, the setting here is a, a very small town, obviously not used to the uh, the type of crime that you're talking about uh, in this story. Absolutely. Uh, the crime rate was, I guess, almost zero. I mean, petty crime, maybe. Right, but not, right. Nothing like the violent crimes we face today. Yeah. And, and I, I like what you were talking about, the the way this young girl was kind of forced to grow up before her time, given all that was going on in the world around her. Certainly, that is, uh, in a large sense, relatable to much of what we see going on in the world today. True, true. You know, shocking and and displacing and changing our life and the way we think about things that happened then, too. So how does the this uh, character and how does this family uh, then uh, come together uh, in, in the wake of such uh, tremendous tragedy, again, the backdrop of war and, and all of that? Uh, well, they were a close-knit family, and... There was multi-generational families back in those days where grandma and grandpa didn't go off to an old folks' home. They mm-hmm. usually moved in and helped raise the children, which was a great advantage to them to have a multi-generational upbringing. And that was part of the reason that they could bind and, and get through this because of so many different generations and the caring of the children uh, right there. Uh, it was whole different than it is today. And part of uh, part of that obviously also made it uh, a little bit easier to get through the tough times uh, during World War II, which, uh, as we know from the history books, uh, some folks uh, may have lived through this and, and others learn it from the history books. Uh, it was not easy uh, holding down the home, home front during the course of World War II. No, it wasn't, and and uh, I found it amazing when I had to look back and just pick up some information that I'd long since put away for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, it was my children uh, that, as all kids do, want to know, what was your life, Mom, when you were a little girl about my age? And when I told them that there was no television, no video games, right. no computers, no social media, I, I thought they'd faint, <laughs> and they said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, we listened to the radio. We had Jack Benny and The Shadow and George oh, yeah. Burns and Gracie Allen. Oh, sure. Uh, soap operas in the afternoon, Guiding Light, Kitty Foyle. And uh, we took our fun outside at park picnics and playing sports. And uh, we got by just fine. Um, and then when my kids got a little older, beyond wanting to know what I played, and I informed them that um, 
the medium annual income was $950 a year. <laughs> yeah. And the federal minimum wage was 30 cents. I mean, they right. just, just blew their mind. So yeah. it did sort of drive them to go back and do some uh, reading on their own and seeing um, with any history that they missed, they could pick up because their interest had been piqued. It happened to their grandma. We it talk, happened to their mom. Talk about all of the ways in which uh, life change uh, has changed since those days. One thing that that has not changed, and I think is universal in, and again, uh, going back to the uh, crime that's at the center of the book, the murder of the young child that's uh, at the center of the book, the way the community rallies and comes together uh, after a tragic event like this. It was true. They Just like when uh, World War II broke out with the bombing at Pearl Harbor, American citizens, just about everyone, took it personally. I mean, how dare they? And on a Sunday morning to boot. So the same thing with this uh, murder that took place in this town. They not only feared that somebody was walking around Mm-hmm. Uh, that could do something like that that was unbe- unbelievable to them. But yes, they band together, and it was the the gossip of of the bar, of the hair place where you got your hair done. Right. Everybody was, was involved, yes. Now, a- again, this is a, a novel, but one of the things, again, we talk about uh, the fact that uh, many small towns, they just don't have this type of of crime, this level of crime on a regular basis. At the same time, I think just about every town has a story, and ours is no exception, has a story from years and years ago uh, that where this rings true. I, I think every town has one of those stories. So again, here is uh, something that tragically is relatable on that level. True. Very true. Yes. And is this about um, getting a, a understanding the way uh, kids, young people see the world differently from adults or uh, getting grownups to sort of uh, revisit their child or look through that lens? Uh, yes, I think, you know, uh, every generation is connected, and yet every generation is different. And uh, I think it points out that though it was a different situation back then, the children of today, you know, have that or even more mm-hmm. to deal with. And it's kind of a good idea for adults to sort of look at it that way. In the end, uh, also kind of makes you think as to whether uh, a, a child can remain a child in the midst of all of these uh, experiences. I mean, have we taken away that childhood, or are they resilient to the point where uh, they can go about just being children after this? Well, I think they are resilient. Kids are, you know, amazing when you stop and think about it. But it's a matter of maybe they had to look at their life entirely differently than they did before, too. But it's a growing experience, and um, it happens to all children to some extent, somewhere along the line. Right. So it's, you know... I, I think one of the things, uh, one of your quotes in, in some of the uh, materials, and I have not read the book, but I, I was reading about the book and, and some of the things that, that you have said about writing it, uh, talking about uh, driving home the point that even though, and you were talking about it a little bit earlier, even though this is a time and place that seems so far ago and a time long forgotten almost, uh, at the same time, it is 
relevant and and ever present today. I mean, it's it's really in many respects a case study of how the more things change, the more things stay the same. That's true. That's true. And it's. I think it's also uh, just. I'm not writing about a bunch of lessons, but life just you know offers us these lessons whether right. we want them or not. Right. And to show that you know people sacrificed then as they do now. And uh, it's just part of living and part of a community and part of the way the world works. The Shingle Weaver's Picnic, a poignant and timeless <laughs> story of a close-knit family touched by tragedy in the darkest days of the Second World War. Again, uh, debut novelist uh, P.C. Smith with us this morning. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? Yes, I do. Uh, my website is author P C Smith. Dot com. Okay. And there's all kinds of information there and maybe more uh, answers to the questions if people are interested. So, yeah, yeah, I was quite proud to have that. I was one of those dig in and I'm not going to have a computer type people <laughs> at my age. And, you know, of course, I got a computer. Then I definitely wasn't going to have a laptop. And <laughs> then I found sitting on the sofa was a pretty nice thing. And then I for sure wasn't going to have a phone that had IQ higher than mine. <laughs> but, you know, here I am. Here now I even are. have a watch that talks to me and a website. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link up to it on our webpage as well, PC. Smith, thanks very much for taking the uh, time and best of luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It was quite a pleasure. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Police in Woodhaven, Michigan, say a $1,500 reward is being offered for the safe return of Ronald McDonald. Yes, one of the town's Ronald McDonald statues, which was seated on a bench behind local McDonald's, has been pilfered. They say the statue was swiped sometime Friday night this past weekend or early Saturday morning. The family that owns the restaurant is offering a $1,500 reward for the statue's safe return, and police ask anyone with information about the clown statue's whereabouts to contact them. Who would make off with a Ronald uh, Ronald McDonald statue? I mean, what do you do with something like that? Do you put it in your uh, in your front? You can't put it in your front yard. Everybody would recognize it. It's not like there you can buy these things outside of outside of McDonald's. Oh no, that's not that's not the Ronald McDonald that was stolen. I bought that off eBay. I don't know. Put it in your basement or something. I don't. Kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> Bring back Ronald. Free Ronald McDonald. Free Ronald. Um, speaking of restaurants, this is in Taiwan. Kind of interesting. And I like this story because it proves that people in America aren't the only ones who will do crazy things for to get free stuff. Uh, in Taiwan, a restaurant chain came up with a, a great promotion that has led to what local officials are calling salmon chaos. The central news agency in Taiwan is reporting that Sushiro Eateries offered a two-day promotion that re- would reward anyone whose name uh, in- anyone whose name includes the Chinese characters for Zhi Yu, which translates to salmon, with a free all-you-can-eat meal for themselves and five others at any of the chain's 20 locations. 
So if your name contains the Chinese characters that translate to salmon, you get a free meal for you and all your friends. This promotion led to dozens of people showing up at government offices to change their names. <laughs> people wanted to legally change their name to get a free dinner at this restaurant. Uh, those who made the change don't consider it a big deal because the Taiwanian government allows everyone in that country to change their name up to three times. I had no idea, but apparently that's the law. The country's interior ministry, however, says that a miscalculation could end up making those changes permanent, and officials say there is a logistical strain involving all of the paper paperwork involved, so it's not quite as simple as it seems. A representative for the restaurant tells local reporters, quote, we appreciate those who are willing to change their names for our sushi. <laughs> Again, it's just, it makes you feel a little bit better knowing that Americans aren't the only ones who will do crazy, crazy things in order to get free stuff. You know, we are not alone. Um, this is a crazy story. A Minnesota business owner was left scratching her head after an angry customer who ordered a dozen face masks on her website demanded a refund when he only got 12. That's right. He ordered a dozen. She sent out 12. He complained that he didn't get all of them that he ordered. <laughs> Zeta McRae, the owner of Zeta's Vault, an online shop that sells items like shirts and hoodies and cards and customized face masks, posted screenshots of her Twitter exchange with a customer that quickly went viral. Uh, the customer says, hello, I ordered a dozen custom masks. However, you only sent me 12. <laughs> I really needed them all. I would like a refund, please. And I will no longer support your business. I try to support black-owned businesses, but you guys continue to rip me off. <laughs> Ms. McRae politely responded by explaining that since a dozen means 12, <laughs> she sent the correct amount. Therefore, she would not be able to offer a refund. However, she did try and make it right. She apologized for disappointing the customer and offered a discount coupon on a future order. The customer, in turn, responded with not interested, adding, I must have missed it on the invoice. I needed 20 I never heard of a dozen being listed as 12. Maybe his face mask has been cutting off his oxygen too much. Maybe, he's, maybe you're wearing it too tightly. I don't know. I ordered a dozen. You only sent 12. What's wrong with you? Uh, back to Michigan. This is a story out of Detroit. Um, not to open up the debate over pizza toppings, but I think we can all agree that dirt is not a, an acceptable pizza topping. Um, thanks to his doorbell camera, a Michigan man uh, found out that he probably would be best not to eat his uh, pizza that he ordered. Uh, his doorbell camera caught a delivery driver he comes up to deliver the pizza, drops the pizza right out of the box, landed right there on the front porch. The homeowner thought, 
well, this guy will do the right thing, right? And admit up, own up to the mistake. No. The driver shoved the dirty pizza back in the box, set it down, and walked off. <clears throat> Just <laughs> dropped the pizza on the ground, put it back in the box, and left it there. The uh, customer contacted DoorDash, uh, who fired the delivery driver and apologized. So. I would hope so. And finally, in the broken news this morning, a Missouri woman is facing multiple charges after allegedly relieving herself in public at a gas station in Arizona. She's from Missouri, but she was traveling to uh, Arizona. And when you're traveling, you know, you have to go. You pull over to a gas station, but she didn't go to the restroom. She just right there uh, in the parking lot of the uh, gas station in Phoenix. Uh, she just uh, relieved herself right there. Uh, the uh, the perpetrator, Nancy Finn, reportedly also threw canned goods at a witness when he confronted her and then fled. A short while later, uh, state troopers found Ms. Flynn uh, apparently throwing trash out of her car along the highway. She was arrested and booked on charges of criminal littering and polluting, indecent exposure, and disorderly conduct. <laughs> I don't know. Some people. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news, to be sure. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at findlayrotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. Lastly, this morning, as we always do, it is time to head to Kyra's Kitchen for another collection of easy and tasty recipes for your family. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio. And uh, by the way, we will mention, uh, and we've, we've mentioned it before, if you have a recipe you would like to share, yes, uh, Kyra is always up for fresh new recipes to try. So yes. if you have one, by all means, you can email it to us. Goodmornings at WFIN.com is our email address. And... Uh, if you have a request, we've done yes, requests. Yes, requests also. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm always up for something new and different. Just let us know if you've got a request. Except for liver and onions. Yeah, <laughs> no, we don't do that. Uh, today, uh, the collection of, I have to admit, uh, speaking of things that we don't like, uh, I have to admit, uh, yeah. today's collection of recipes, uh, you have some that I am not, No, I mean, it's not my favorites. No. I know you like them. I love Not them. my favorites, but hey, you know what? To each their own. That's right. So That's right. Yeah, that picky. Whether, whether I like it, I am. I'm a picky eater. I will be the first to uh, admit that. Um, but whether or not I like it is not a prerequisite for this, this segment of the program. This is what I do when 
you're gone, when exactly. you're at soccer. When I've I got a soccer game, things. when I've got you know yes. something else going on. I do this. These. Is, these, these are I the do recipes. My food. <laughs> these are the recipes that uh, Kyra makes in the uh, kitchen when I'm not around. Yes. And uh, we begin today with a classic tuna melt sandwich yes, recipe. I love this. So, uh, one five ounce can of uh, your chunky light tuna drained, uh, two tablespoons of mayonnaise, one tablespoon of minced dried onion, one tablespoon of dried celery, one tablespoon of sweet pickle relish. I sometimes put a little bit more in. I like relish. Uh, salt and pepper to taste. Four slices of bread of your choice and four slices of Colby Jack cheese. So flake the tuna with a fork, uh, then combine the tuna, the mayonnaise, the onions, the celery, the relish, and the salt and pepper. Um, And then preheat your skillet on medium heat. Slather two pieces of bread with butter, then place them in the skillet, butter down. Um, and then place a cheese slice on the bread, spread the tuna mixture over the two slices of bread, and then add another slice of cheese, top with another slice of buttered bread, butter side up. Because you're going <laughs> to flip it one. over. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like doing a toasted cheese exactly. sandwich. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which you do like. Uh, <laughs> cook until well, who the- doesn't? <laughs> I mean- Come on. <laughs> Cook until it's golden brown. Um, then flip the sandwich carefully over to the other side. Putting the cheese on both on both ends helps keep that together. So when you flip it. Um, your bread's not going everywhere. Uh, then cook until the other side is browned and remove, slice, and serve. There you go. The classic tuna melt sandwich recipe. What, what bread do you prefer? I mean, as the Um, recipe said, you can use whatever bread you like, but I like, I just use my whole wheat. Just regular wheat bread? Yeah, I use my regular whole wheat bread. I didn't know if you had a uh, preference of some sort of exotic bread, but you could pretty much use your own. Any bread. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever bread you like. Yeah. Sourdough would be good. Mm -hmm. Any type of yeah. bread will be good. Uh, to go along with the classic tuna melt is uh, fried green beans, which another uh, one of your favorites. <laughs> yes, I love fried green beans. Anytime there's a I restaurant that healthy, has them. <laughs> I don't know how healthy the fried green beans they are, are. But, but they're uh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so one pound of green beans, uh, ends trimmed um, off of each end. Uh, one and a half cups of all-purpose flour divided. Um, one cup of beer. One three one and three-fourths teaspoon of salt. A half a teaspoon of black pepper. Um, a quarter teaspoon of garlic powder. A quarter teaspoon of onion powder. And then your oil for frying. So I'll have the beer. You're one, only going to need one okay. cup. And oh, then you, you can go. give me the, get the rest. rest of the there, beer. There, then at so least we'll do that. you enjoy something out Nothing, of this recipe. I, I wouldn't want it to go to waste. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> So heat a three-inch um, uh, pan, a uh, deep pan with oil. I use my um, electric wok uh, to about 370 degrees, and that's one of the reasons I love using my electric wok for this is because you can just set it right to 375 degrees. Mm-hmm. So uh, coat the green beans in a half a cup of flour. Uh, shake off the excess in a medium bowl. Mix together your remaining cup of flour your beer, your salt, your pepper, your garlic powder, and your onion powder. Then coat each of your green beans in the batter, uh, letting the existing batter kind of drip off uh, into the bowl. Then fry each uh, each one, eight to ten uh, green beans at a time, depending on 
the size, the size right yep, of the pot for about three to four minutes. Uh, repeat the pr- process with the, your remaining green beans. Serve immediately with your favorite dipping sauce. You could use uh, ranch or I use uh, ranch and a combination. I have a thing of ranch and I have a thing of chili sauce. And Ooh, kind of okay. dip them together. All right, it's yummy. <laughs> And then for dessert, and this is a dessert I do like. This is good stuff. A Toll House chocolate chip pie. Pie. Oh, so this was really good. So one eight eight uh one unbaked nine inch deep dish pie shell, or if you have your favorite pie pie crust that you like, mm-hmm. uh, you can use that too. Uh, two eggs, uh, half a cup of all-purpose flour, half a cup of granulated sugar, half a cup of packed brown sugar, three-fourths cups of butter softened to room temperature, and one cup of semi-sweet chocolate chips. So preheat your oven to 325 degrees, line your deep dish pie plate with your unbaked uh, pie crust, um, crimping the edges, set aside in a mixing bowl. Then beat together your eggs on high speed until they're light and foamy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they're not going to be fluffy; they're just going to be foamy. Okay. Um, add the flour and both your sugars to the bowl. Mix again until combined. Then add your butter. Mix once more uh, until completely mixed. Then stir in your chocolate chips. I I um, always take them out and fold in my chocolate chips so it doesn't chunk up the chocolate chips when you use your electric yeah. mixer. Yeah. Um, and then just until it's evenly through the chocolate chips or evenly through the batter, then spoon the batter into your pie crust, uh, smooth it out, bake uh, 50 to 60 minutes um, until a toothpick inserted in the center of the pie comes out clean. Uh, cool on a wire rack for about 30 minutes and serve warm with some vanilla ice cream. Mm-mm-mm. If you're serving it the next day, you can just warm it up in the microwave a little bit and put your right. pie in Because picture. it's yep. basically like a really thick chocolate yes. chip cookie cake. Yes. Yeah. And know, it's there, really good. You know, and I was thinking this is going to be like really rich. And it wasn't. No, it it's was not. really yeah, good. Yeah it, it, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, but it has that uh, consistency. It's like, a, yeah. like the cookie cakes. Yes. That you, or yeah. the, you know, cookie pizza. The big yeah. oversized yeah. giant cookie. But it's a little thicker than that, obviously. A little that, bit obviously. thicker. Yeah. yeah. Really good stuff. Gooey. So, yummy. <laughs> there you go. The classic tuna melt sandwich recipe. Your fried green beans. And the Toll House chocolate chip Hi, we've got those recipes posted on our Facebook page and also linked up at goodmornings.net. Recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much for dropping by. You're welcome. And that'll do it for our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, as always, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. That's where you can connect with us on our social media channels as well. Uh, shoot us an email if there's something you want to share. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day and a great weekend. Enjoy your first weekend of spring. We'll catch you back here on Monday.